This is Words That Move Me, the podcast where movers and shakers like you get the information and inspiration you need to navigate your creative career with clarity and confidence. I am your host, Master Mover, Dana Wilson. And if you're someone that loves to learn, laugh, and is looking to rewrite the starving artist story, then sit tight, but don't stop moving, because you're in the right place. Hello, hello, my friend. I'm Dana. This is Words That Move Me. Welcome. I'm really jazzed about this episode. As usual, always jazzed about the episodes. Um, But today is special because we are rounding out Money March with a really special question and answer episode. Uh, Today, I will be joined by the lovely Julia Grubbs, who is not only a dancer and aerialist and personal trainer, but she is also a CPA. Super bonus points to you if you know or remember from the vocab in episode 63. What does CPA stand for? (laughs) Yes, you are right. CPA stands for Certified Public Accountant. So for the next almost hour... Julia, CPA, and I will be answering the money questions that listeners have submitted over the last like three or four-ish weeks um, during the course of Money March. But first, let's celebrate some wins. We've got massive wins around here. (laughs) And uh, the one that I would like to celebrate today, (laughs) I can't even get it out without laughing. I am celebrating that I have finally I've been wanting to do this for, like, years, my friends. I have finally enrolled in clown school. Yes. (laughs) The clown school, to be exact. The clown school is based here in Los Angeles, but they have an online program, which I should mention right out the gate, this is not a paid promotion. In fact, I have not even started yet, so I don't know if this course is any good at all. But it came recommended to me from people that I think are funny and talented, so... That was good enough for me. I'm jazzed about beginning. Um, And that is my win this week. And now I'll pass it off to you. What is going well in your world? Congratulations. I'm jazzed for you. So stoked. Please keep winning. You've got this. Okay, now, before we get into this conversation with Julia, I want to let you know that my team and I have put together a special PDF companion for all Money March episodes. Actually, we do PDF um, companion, like, interactive worksheets for every single Words That Move Me episode. They're all available in bundles of 10 at thedanawilson.com slash shop. But we put the four Money March episodes together in their own little bundle because we really think that this information is important. And specifically, these last four episodes are doubly useful if you have that reference point, that actual, you know, digital or tangible, I guess, if you print it out, place where you get to actually learn these things instead of simply listen to these things. So um, that special Money March bundle of PDF worksheets is available to you at thedanawilson.com slash shop. And um, 
now we're going to talk about that that sensation that you're feeling in your chest right now and the kind of tickling that's happening in between your ears. That, my friends, is the desire to learn about money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's get into it right away. Grab your pen, grab paper, grab your words that move me worksheet, or grab QuickBooks, I don't know, grab chalk and a sidewalk for all I care. But you definitely will want to be taking some notes. Um, all right. Without any further ado, everybody, enjoy your money questions answered with Julia Grubbs. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome my guest today, Miss Julia Grubbs. Julia, hi. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited about this episode. Um, very grateful to have you. Thank you so much for making yourself available. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is how it works on the podcast. For better or for worse, all of... For better... Is that how you say it? For better or for worse. Not for better or for worst, but for better or for worse. I have all of my guests introduce themselves. Now, you are a woman that wears many hats, so this might be a part, uh, an interesting challenge for you. But uh, let us have it. What, what would you like us to know about you? Yeah, I know you do this, so I'm just a little bit prepared, but not over-prepared. Um, my name is Julia Grubbs. I am from Paducah, Kentucky, um, small town. I live in New York City. I am a dancer, an airless, a personal trainer, and a writer. But most importantly, I am a CPA or a certified public accountant, which I know you have told your listeners. Absolutely. Indeed. Um, I'm thrilled that that combination of titles exists in one person because it would be very difficult to organize the schedules of all five of those people to have a podcast episode about money and, and finance for dancers. So I'm thrilled about you and your skill set. Um, and I'm really excited to be asking you some questions that I've garnered from my listeners over the last uh, three weeks or so of podcast episodes that were specifically focused on dancers, choreographers, the way that we earn money, the amount of money that we earn, and what we do with that money. So I've got a boatload of cues to A, and I'm thrilled that I don't have to do it by myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I suppose we might just get into it, shall we? Yeah, why not? Okay, I think you're probably better suited to answer this question than I am, um, because I know that you work with a lot of small businesses, you work with people who are self-employed. The question coming from listeners is, what is the biggest mistake that an independent contractor can make? Honestly, I think it's just not being prepared for tax time or just with a general plan for your money at all, right? So often as dancers, we have money coming in sometimes, but not other times, um, irregularly from a lot of different sources. So really just having a plan and an approach to what you're going to do with that money when it does come in, um, making sure that some is set aside for taxes, some is set up for bills, you know, general emergencies, um, you know for all of our expenses that we have, as well as making sure that there's fun money in there as well. But just having an approach to it instead of saying, great, I got $2,000, what do I do with it, right? We wanna make sure we have an approach. Um, do, do you mind if I ask, what is your personal approach? <laughs> <laughs> sure, so um, 
I am a full-time employee as a, as an accountant, as a CPA. Um, so I do have regular money coming in, but as for my dance income, you know, there's a couple different approaches you can have. There's a 50, 30, 20 rule sometimes that people have, or a one number approach. So the 50, 30, 20 is what you would say 50% is going to our fixed expenses, you know, 30% for fun. And then 20% is going to what I would call future you, right? You're saving, you're investing. Um, so that works well for some people and they'll kind of do that on a monthly approach. Um, the one number approach is a little bit different. It makes it easier because it's just one number that you have to remember. Um, so the idea is to calculate, you know, how much money you can afford to spend on flexible costs, right? The things that we have to actually make decisions about, not our rent that's kind of fixed. Mm -hmm. um, and then you only have to remember that one number on a day-to-day -day basis. So you can start with your total take-home pay that you expect to earn during the month, right? We know that can be different mm -hmm. as dancers. But you're going to subtract all your monthly fixed costs, things that we know that um, have to go. You're going to set aside the money for future you and then um, money for your non-monthly expenses, you know, Christmas gifts, things kind of like that. And the money left over is your flexible spending money. So you're going to divide that number by 4.3. It's the average number of weeks in a month. Mm. Um, and that's your one number. So then you can go out into the world and spend money on things, you know, as you do. And all you have to do is check and make sure you haven't hit your one number for the week, right? So that's um, a good approach that some people like to use. Oh, I love that approach. That is different than my approach. Okay. <laughs> um, I talked a little bit about um, a, a dancer and a dancer spending in uh, two episodes ago now. So I think episode 63. And I, I got this incredible gift of a book called The Money Book for Freelancers, Independent Contractors, and the Self-Employed. And they they talk about the divine trilogy of savings accounts. So I made a habit of 10% going to an emergency fund. And by 10%, I mean of every check. And that's even my residual checks that are for like $2.74. 10% goes to emergency fund, 10% goes to retirement fund, and then 15% goes to a tax fund. Um, and by fund, I actually just mean online savings account that has a pretty healthy interest yield. So um, I made habit of that way back in 2016. It is absolutely what I do. Once all that money is done and once my um, monthly fixed expenses are paid, everything else is freedom money. And what I find is usually um, I feel best about putting that freedom money also into one of those savings accounts versus leaving it in the checking account where it earns 0.01% interest, which is the biggest buzzkill ever. <laughs> um, so that's sort of my game plan, but I like this one number. It seems like less math, and I know for most dance types, math isn't our favorite thing, so maybe less math is more good. Um, thank you for shining light <laughs> on those couple of options. Um, okay, so our next question, I love this question. When negotiating contracts, what are the phrases to avoid? What's the best thing to bring up and ask? What are the best questions to ask um, in terms of a negotiation? And I might head this one up. Um, Go for it. I'll speak specifically to dancers and choreographers because that is the world of negotiating that I know. And actually, in full honesty, I have had a dance agent for 15 years. I have never had to negotiate the terms of my own contract contract. Um, wow, but, amazing. <laughs> but 
every year my general service agreements with my agent comes up for renegotiation. Most GSAs or general service agreements are for the term of one year. And I think it's an important thing to note that's the contract that dancers will sign most often. It's a GSA. It's a general service agreement of some sort. You're usually, you have one with your agent, you have one with a manager, you might sign a GSA for a particular job that's addressing some sort of agreement for usage or something, but we, we the dancer, don't sign the sag after contract you know, or we don't stipulate the terms of every working agreement that we're on. We, we're, we're not writing that language. Those contracts already exist. Our agents sign them on our behalf or we, we'll sign paperwork on the day. Um, but the, the contract that you'll wind up signing probably the most often outside of paperwork that says, yes, I work these hours, um, is the GSA. And what I would love to um, underline for this for the person asking this question and for everybody listening is that general service agreements are standardized, right? That's why they're called general. But that doesn't mean that they can't be adjusted or modified or changed in some way. Um, you absolutely have the right and the ability to suggest and offer changes to that GSA. And I've I've never made an amendment to a GSA that wasn't accepted. Or every time I re-sign my GSA with my agency, they send me a copy, I mark it up in red, I send it back, I say, is this okay? They say, yep, and we sign, and in one more year, we do it again. Um, <laughs> there was an awesome course offered by SAG-AFTRA. I think it was called Understanding Your GSA, and it's one of the many perks of being a union member. You get to take this free course, and I learned all the jargon. Oh, that to... Uh, sorry, circling back, um, the question asks for what are some phrases or things to look out for, things to avoid? In perpetuity, my friend, in perpetuity means forever for all time. I really encourage anytime you see the word in perpetuity forever, you ask if that's um, uh, if that's a point where you might be able to set a term. Instead of in perpetuity forever, it's for the next five years. It's for the next 10 years. It's until the usage changes, at which point we renegotiate. Strongly recommend looking out for that language in perpetuity forever. Um, but yeah, these the, the terms of contracts are important. In other words, the amount of time that they cover. Um, always make sure that you're filling in all blanks. You don't want to sign your name on something that has open blanks that other people could fill in numbers that you didn't necessarily agree with. Um, on GSAs specifically, that will usually be a percentage number or um, a length of time. You definitely want to make sure that you don't leave any any important fields like that open. Um, and then I guess my my only other encouraging factor would be simply to ask if you don't understand language. It's, I know it might feel embarrassing to not understand what a word means or what it means in this specific context, but contracts are not designed with dancers in mind most of the time. There is no shame in asking for the meaning or a breakdown of legalese of this jargon that can sometimes be intentionally confusing. So I really encourage you ask questions, either asking to your agents or from production, just for a little additional clarity. Hey, what does this mean? Um, and then, of course, there's the good old-fashioned habit of 
take a photo, <laughs> take pictures of all of the things that you sign, um, and then put them someplace on an encrypted hard drive. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I see it happen often for myself and for others is that something might come up long after the job has happened. You don't remember what you earned. You don't remember the hours that you worked. There's some sort of discrepancy and you have to call on that information. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a long way of wrapping up that question. Um, when you're negotiating contracts, the phrases and terms that I would look out for are the length, the term of the contract, um, some specific language in there. For example, in your GSAs, your general service agreement with your agent, they'll usually say, I, Dana Wilson, hereby give, enter name of agent or agency, permission to act as my words come after that. You just want to make sure that those words are agent, <laughs> not not necessarily representative, legal, anything. This is I'm looking for an agent. That's what I want. Make sure that the word that follows there is, you know, the actual word that you're looking for. Um, so there's that. What else did I, I think I covered that whole question. Best thing to bring up is anything that you don't understand. Always. Okay. Whew. I think I did it. <laughs> Julia, do you have anything that you would add to that? Um, sure. You know, uh, you know, contract negotiation, I won't say is my entire specialty, but I will say, especially in New York, I know, I'm not sure as much about LA, um, but some might not realize that agents will be happy to represent you on a particular deal, even if they don't represent you generally. So especially if that deal in, you know, is a union job or a job that pays well. Um, but regardless of who represents you, you know, one clause that it's possible to no negotiate is the so-called favored nations clause. So basically that ensures that a performer is paid the same as others on the show. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, say you're doing a certain show and you're in the ensemble just to make sure that all the other ensembles, wh whoever negotiates basically the highest, if this is great for an unrepresented actor or dancer, um, that whoever maybe might be represented negotiates a higher rate that you get the same pay as they do. Mm -hmm. And then you can negotiate that in terms of salary or in terms of terms and conditions, mm -hmm. um, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Definitely important to bring up that the the concept of favored nations certainly can work to your favor as you're an up-and-comer. Um, but if you're a person who's used to negotiating above scale or has a specific day rate for yourself, made by yourself based on your experience and skill set that's, you know, above average, then looking at favored nations language is is not going to be such a friendly thing to right. <laughs> to to behold. And of course, there is always room for a conversation. I think that all too often dancers and creative types in general accept what's on the page as like, I have to say yes or no. There is a third option, mm. which is I can say yes if or yes when and then go from there. Um, oh, man. Oh, man. And I think in addition to having a bounce board for my ideas, my feelings about work, you know, my calendar in general, I love having an agent because of that, because I do mm. not like mm -hmm. being the person t that negotiates. I like being the person that dances and teaches and moves and <laughs> choreographs. So, um, yeah, I think that a handful, a, a lot of the questions that I got were um, 
coming from a place of a dancer or choreographer who is not yet represented, I cannot stress enough the value of that relationship. And um, I know right now specifically, right now being March of 2021, a lot of agencies uh, that represent all sorts of talent are doing virtual submissions. Not a lot of people holding auditions in person these days. So it might be a really awesome time, even if you're not living in a big city or hub, to get the attention of some of these people who are sitting at their computer all day long looking for new talent in in uh, under rocks that might not have been lifted up before. So <laughs> if you're out there looking for representation, don't be shy. Come forward. The world is ready for talent. <laughs> A thousand percent. Okay. Uh, let's keep it pushing. The next one is interesting. I I have an idea about this, and I would love to hear your thoughts. My listener asks, what are the practices or tips or tools that you would recommend for getting you and your partner on the same page with money? Um, having two incomes in one household, in other words. And I'm fascinated by this. My husband and I have been married for uh five years almost six years and congratulations thank you so much that is a win especially because i am so in love um and especially especially because i haven't like left in over a year we've been in a house together (laughs) for over a year and i am still smitten um (laughs) So I'll, I have a couple, I, I jotted down a couple of the things that we do that work, and I'm not saying by any means that I am a professional at this, um, but one of the things that my husband and I have adopted and I, I see tremendous value in is that we treat our goals, financial and otherwise, like a business, and we treat parts of our relationship like a business. We have a weekly meeting where we sit down and talk about the nuts and bolts of it, right? Um, And I think it helps to build trust. We talk about financial goals. We talk about updates in our financial lives. We check on accountability, like, did you send our CPA this? Or was I supposed to do this? Or did you pay this? Or, you know, it it really helps keep clear who's in charge of what um, and what's been done and what is yet to be done. yeah, that, that is one thing I really am a huge proponent of is the weekly meeting that's set. It doesn't happen over the dinner table. It happens over Skype. He, he and I are both in separate places. It's standing on the calendar. If we cannot make it, it gets rescheduled. Like, this is kind of coveted time. Um, the other thing that we do at least once a year is we really put it all out there. Look at every single account. How much is in it? How much was in it? How much do we want to have in it? And we, I, I have a floor-to-ceiling mirror in my dance studio area. We get a dry erase marker and cover that thing with just all the numbers. It really helps build trust and get a clear idea of the big financial picture instead of what comes up in our weekly meetings, which is usually kind of kind of short term. So that's that's another one. Um, and then in terms of like the actual structure of our money, I don't know much about this, but my husband and I have a um, yours, mine, ours approach. He has his money that he earns and he uses. I have my money that I earn and I use, and we have really different spending styles. Um, but we then have an account that is ours. It's for our goals, our trips, our dream purchases, our, you know, shared items and emergency things and that sort of like 
the I guess it's not a divine trilogy anymore because I have I have I have taxes emergency retirement and then Dan Dana which is our our joint account and every check I get some of it gets shaved off and put in there and that and when you have two people doing that that account grows pretty quickly so that I would super recommend um and then oh one more thing celebrate celebrate the small things and celebrations don't have to be expensive I think what my husband and I have started to do is establish what we what's important to us um, since the quarantine actually a cool change is that we found out that neither it's not important to either one of us to eat out um, I much prefer his cooking to most of the restaurants in my area and I prefer efficiency speed and I love like I, I, I love not spending more money than I need to be spending. I found this awesome farmer's market. I get a box for 25 bucks every single week. I know like that's become a definite fixed number for me. And when I find myself spending the same amount on one meal that I do on my entire weekly food, I'm just like, ooh, I don't love that feeling. So we've decided like, Certain things are not important, eating out, for example, but certain things are. For me, one of them is travel. So I am willing to save scrupulously in other areas so that I can spend in the areas that really light me up. My husband's the same. He's like, I do not need new clothing ever. He will wear his clothing until it does not cover his body anymore. But he will absolutely be buying new tools, new equipment. And my husband is an engineer. His tools and equipment are not like the cost of a new pair of shoes in my world. Those are my tools, my equipment, right? These are like thousands of dollars of, you know, machinery and stuff. So we save where it matters and we spend where it matters and we celebrate meeting our goals. That is my advice for the couplage in the world. And, and hey, five years, I'm, I'm celebrating. We're celebrating. I'm celebrating, but it's not 60. I mean, get out there and ask that question to every couple that you know. That's such a smart question, and I'm I'm really curious. Um, Julie, I'm cu curious to hear your input, but I would pose that to any couple that's listening. Like, what do you do? I want to know. Send me a DM. Words that move me podcast. Holler. <laughs> Julia, throwing it to you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, as much as people say dancers might be frivolous, the system that you just described was so detailed and you know you're making that systems-based approach that everyone needs to have success in this area of our life right as dancers we know how to hustle we are hustlers like no one else but in our financial world you know sometimes we don't do that but you are showing that we can mm -hmm. right we do have the skills to be able to do it we just have to apply that same kind of energy that we have in the rest of our life right yeah um yeah. So, you know, the weekly check-ins, those are amazing. You know, a yearly check-in. I would answer, you know, these questions for yourself. I would say on a scale of one to 10, you know, how much, how much do you worry about money or how much, how often do you think about or talk about money? Um, and then you want to take a forward-looking approach and say, what does our most amazing life look like, right? Let's see each person answers that individually. And then we're going to come together and see, okay, what do we want our life to look like, right? Um, where do you want to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And once we settle on what we want, then we want to take a systems-based approach of how to get there, right? Automatic saving, investing, right? Like you're talking about automatic debt payments. If we are in debt, know our exact debt payoff date, the year and the month, so that we can have a date to look forward to and then use all of those skills that we, or all of those systems that we've built 
to get us to our most amazing life in the future, right? Mm -hmm. What do we love spending money on? What do you hate spending money on? We're going to cut costs mercilessly on those things that we don't really care about and spend a ton of money on the things that we love spending money on, right? That's going to make us a generally happier person, happier couple in general, right? And we, each person in that relationship might have different answers to that. And so they can then just act accordingly, right? Mm-hmm. I like spending money on convenience, having my groceries delivered to my door. I love cooking, so I don't eat out as much, but I just love having all of my groceries delivered, you know, having a personal trainer. I could um, create my own workouts, right? But I outsource it to someone who also trains dancers and does that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work to find out what we actually care about and not what other people care about, right? What are person and our relationship cares about. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Um, I love this idea of forward thinking and then kind of reverse engineering back from that point. Like, I know that if I want to be fully debt free by X date, then I want to be half debt free by half in half of that time. And like, it can get pretty practical and reasonable and drama free when you just look at the numbers and really focus to hit your marks. Um, Okay, now let's actually let's sidestep from the math of it, the the math part, and just talk a little bit about mindset or what I like to call drama. Um, and and it's funny because money, which is math, has such a hold on our heartstrings, on our thoughts, on our on ooh ooh, it's deep. It is very deep. So I I would like to talk a little bit about mindset, and I know that you. Um, specialize in this department, so I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Uh, I have a listener asking, what is a suggested mindset for an artist who's looking to increase their earnings and kind of achieve a more sustainable minimum? Um, And I think the caveat here is like, while still doing fulfilling work. (laughs) What do you think about that? A, A money mindset? What's the What's the mind, what's the type of thinking that will get you earning more without necessarily, you know, having to sell your soul to the devil? <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> well, I, I think you can't really address the problems with money until you address the psychology behind money, right? So what is your money mindset that you had growing up? What did people in your household talk about, right? Did they not talk about it at all? Mm-hmm. You know, I always felt like I had somewhat of a scarcity mindset and that there would never be enough. So it might help to start to journal and, you know, unravel why you might have that certain mindset and tap into that emotion and that it makes you feel and combat it by saying, I'm not a child anymore. You know, I don't have my parents' fears. I don't have, I don't need to bend to that fear anymore. And I am in control of my current money beliefs. But in order, in terms of um, increasing your earnings, you know, I often think about how happy future me will be mm-hmm. if I am not worried about money, right? Money is people's top source of stress. Mm-hmm. 73% of people said that they, if they felt clear about money, then they would report being less stressed. So if I feel less stressed about having everything covered for me currently and for future me, then I can focus my time and my energy on things that do artistically fulfill me. Mm-hmm. That's huge. So in other words, you're taking on now, which something that might be maybe just an uncomfortable conversation, right? Like something as simple as asking for a raise or something Mm -hmm. as uncomfortable as asking for what you actually think you're worth versus giving the homie deal, 
to everybody, right? In the <laughs> moment, that might be uncomfortable, but your future self will thank you because your future self will be that much less burdened by uh, a scarcity mindset or a, a money struggle moment. Yeah, and going back to that, um, that what we talked about with couples, you know, we that forward thinking approach. Mm-hmm. What does my most amazing life look like? Let me backtrack, and how can I get there? Okay, I I need to make more money in order to get to that. Mm-hmm cool. I'll start doing that now. Right. It's all about consistency, Mm -hmm. um, over time, as opposed to just, you know, one, one thing right now, I'm going to increase one paycheck that I earn. right. We're looking to do it over a long period of time so that we're success successfully set up financially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Small bits making big difference. This idea of like, compounding interest over time, a small change, even if you ask, you know, let's say you're a dance teacher and you ask for $5 more per hour, small change in this one conversation that we're making, but over time, a really, really big, uh, big shift. That's huge. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, another listener asks, uh, I feel very motivated to work on projects that fulfill me artistically, but I'm less motivated to work on the sufficient income type of projects. And that might even fully mean a day job. What do you think about that? Dancers taking on a day job outside of um, their their creative work. Is this something you see with clients often? Absolutely, yes. I think some people have, especially right now during you know uh, this past year, I think people are spending their energies developing side businesses, side hustles, as well as just, you know, um, nannying, part-time things um, in order to kind of cover those bills. And is that something that you, um, I guess the the follow-up to this is like, is that something you encourage? Do you see, do you see creative clients of yours achieving some degree of financial freedom thanks to say Starbucks or, you know, having, having some other regular income? Yeah, I think it depends on what your goals are. So, you know, my goals are flexibility so that I can go to any audition I want to go to. It's not limited by time because I can work on my own whenever I want, right? Others um, might have to work the morning shift at a gym and so that they can go to an audition later um, or work on contracts later. Uh, I think it depends on the person and what they're willing to do, you know, um, oftentimes there's kind of a negative stereotype, I think, between a lot of people would come to the city and bartend and then not be able to wake up for their 8 a.m. audition because they were bartending till 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's if that starts to take away from what they actually want to do, then it might be time to invest uh, their skills that they they definitely have into a different side hustle. Awesome. Thank you for making that distinction. I worked at Urban Outfitters when I first moved to Los Angeles, and for a full calendar year, I rocked that opening shift from 6 a.m. to 3, and wow. and that and that worked for me. I was a person that thought, like, talk about money beliefs, I believed that that stability helped me in my life. I believed that, like, the regimen, the order, the... Uh, certainly the health and the health insurance that I was provided, all my taxes were automatically taken out of my check. I found I found great convenience and comfort in that. It didn't bother me at all. And so I think 
the combination of the job itself, which provided a little bit of flexibility and hours that didn't really conflict, that mixed with my thoughts about it made that a totally reasonable thing for me to do at 18 years Absolutely. old, living on my own for the first time in my life, you know? But there, but that, but that's not everybody's experience. This is not a one-size-fits-all fits all type of answer. You have to really get get real with yourself about what you're thinking this side hustle means to you um, because there are ways that it can fill your cup emotionally and financially um, mm-hmm. if it's the right gig. Man, I, I really enjoyed my Urban Outfitters gig. I'll tell you what, it made shopping for my audition outfits much <laughs> easier and more fun and cheaper. <laughs> I yeah, soaked absolutely. that employee discount up for as long as I possibly could. Um, okay, so maybe this side hustle conversation is a good segue to my next question, which is one of my favorites. It goes like this. <laughs> I love it so much. 1099s. How do I deal with all of them? <laughs> and I have this exact same question. Yeah, I mean, a ton of uh, dancers will come to me and say, oh my gosh, I have so many 1099s, my taxes are going to be so difficult. And my answer kind of is, that doesn't necessarily mean your taxes are going to be that difficult, I will say. Um, All it is is basically a couple extra data entry, you know, in order to get all of that uploaded into the system. Now, if they are in different states, which often happens, you know, if you're working in different regional theaters across the country, those kinds of things, that can make it a little bit more difficult. And we can get into that a bit later. But basically, 1099s, and I know California also has AB5 that makes independent contractor versus employee. Um, yeah, I know we don't, we don't, we don't love it. But um, if you are getting 1099s, then that means that employer, not the right word, but um, considers you self-employed. So when you are self-employed, you then will file uh, Schedule C, and then you conduct deduct business expenses against that. Right. So you'll then pay self-employment tax on that. The, which is the employer and the employee share of Social Security and Medicare, um, but half of that is deductible. So basically, all the 1099s wait, go into wait, back our up, back up, back up. Yep. So half of Medicare and self-employment tax are deductible on the front half of the 1040. Well, the 1040 is now just kind of technically one page, but yeah. I'm I'm just underlining that for everybody that's listening because that's very important carry on yeah so (laughs) yeah so if your income is all w-2 um then you won't file as self-employed and then you don't get to deduct business expenses against that Mm -hmm. the only way you can is on the state return if those if that state allows it so i think new york california pennsylvania and a few others have accommodations that still allow showbiz expenses Mm -hmm. um, but not all states do okay here's a question for me specifically about this subject on a normal year, I might do, I, I do a combination of W-2 and 1099 work. Let's say I teach at four different summer intensives. I go set choreography on a couple different studios. I am in a couple TV episodes, and I teach on a convention. So i mixed bag, right? And while I, I'm working during the year, I'm not thinking about which ones of those will be W-2s and which ones of those will be 1099s. So I find myself at the end of the year wondering if I have all my documents ready to hmm. give to my CPA. I It n- never fails. I will send all my tax documents to my CPA, and then two weeks later I get three more from this dance studio or this project or whatever. Um, do you have a system or recommendation for tracking projects as you do them that helps you kind of 
line item yourself and and know when you're ready to be like when you're done at the end of the year um, or when it is tax time? How do you know that you've got it all? Right. So the deadline for the um, employer to send those documents to you is January 31st. Um, so technically they should mail those all to you as of that date, right? That's when they have to submit it to the IRS. And technically, if, technically, um, if they have paid you more than $600 for each project, then you will are supposed to get a 1099 W2, any amount of money that they pay you. Um, Question for clarity, $600 per project or $600 total? Let's say, let's say I go to a studio two times in a year. Is this per visit or is this in total? In total for the year. Okay. So they have to send something by January 31st. And if they've paid me more than $600, they have to send me a certain thing. And then what happens? Yeah, so that is the 1099, um, which they've also sent to the IRS. So if you get a 1099, that means they've also sent that to the IRS. Okay, so they told the IRS, hey, I, I paid Dana this much money. And then if Dana doesn't report receiving this much money from them, then the IRS goes, warning, warning. Look closer, <laughs> yeah. which we don't love that. Right. Um, so that's why it's important to make sure that you are reporting all income as what it was, right? Be it W-2 or 1099 or um, even interest earnings and stuff like that. Correct. Okay. So to answer this person's questions, uh, to answer this person's question, 1099s, how do I deal with all of them? I personally scan them all into one document. I call it 1099s. And then I send it to my CPA. But what if this person is doing their own taxes? Uh, so whatever, however they decide to file. So if you do make under 72,000, anyone can file for free on the IRS website. Um, and some states allow that as well. What do they call um, that? Free file? Free file. Yes. And then there's a couple different softwares, I believe, that you can choose mm -hmm. to do that. So if you are doing that, basically, like I just said, it's going to be just a little bit more data entry. Each 1099, you have to enter in the EIN, how much money was received, those kinds of things. And also, it was new for this year. Um, we got 1099 NECs instead of 1099 miscellaneous. I don't know if anybody noticed that this year, but yes, that was different. I did notice that this year, and I didn't know what it meant. Yeah, so NEC, non-employee compensation. Look at how much learning I'm doing. <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay, cool. Um, let's move forward. Our next question is, do dancers get paid royalties? This is a, a great example of there isn't a yes or a no. Um, if we look really broadly, I could show you many dancers that do get paid royalties. I could show you many dancers that don't. The distinguishing factor is the type of work they're doing and the type of contracts they are on. Strongly recommend taking a wander back to in the show notes to episode 63, which is the first, it's part one of Money March. I do talk about residual structures and sag after contracts. Those are uh, dancers appearing on film or television and in new media. Um, many of those contracts do uh, include residual structures. And we love that. Um, right. Yeah. So answer to that question is yes. And if you're doing that type of work. Um, and next question, how and when do I negotiate pay? Again, this more or less depends on the type of work that you are doing. Because I have an agent, my agent is always the one that negotiates my pay. And um, I I always seek 
for that to be done before my first day of work. You want to know what you're making before you're on the job. Simple as that. I, I am making it part of my money practice to talk about money first and frequent. If the terms of the project change while it's happening, we're going to talk about money again. Before I sign the dotted line, we're going to talk about money. First and frequent is when uh, you should be discussing your money. That's my that's Love my that. answer. <laughs> Anything to add, Julia? No, that's that's got it covered. You know, we have to make sure that this is it is a big part of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that it is in the conversation um, frequently, as you said. Mm -hmm. Which actually also helps it. It becomes less of a big deal when you're talking about it more often. It's, yeah, it's. I guess it's kind of like footy turns in that way. Like it used to be a really, really big deal before I knew how to do them. And when I didn't do them very often, it was like, oh, here we go. Oh, God. And then when I learned how to do them and did them all the time, unstoppable, you could not keep me from doing footy turns in my kitchen. I will be doing footy turns everywhere. But do you do them now? Video coming soon. <laughs> um, it's been a long time since a footy turn, but I bet I could still, I could still hit a footy turn right now. For sure. Um, okay, Julia, talk to me about IRAs. I've gotten a lot of mixed information about which type I should have, um, be it a Roth or a SEP. Um, I, I've gotten overwhelmed with this question and my, my dives on the internet of trying to find a simple answer were <laughs> not so simple. Um, so I'd love to hear from a dancer what, what you recommend for Obviously, everybody is different, but what would you recommend for the average dancer mm -hmm. when you take it out? At which point, tax rates might be much higher because, you know, people say what goes up must come down. I've noticed that is not entirely true. Uh, I have not seen taxes actually go down. Have I? I don't know. Honestly, I don't pay that much attention. But it's an important thing to consider when you're making that call. With a traditional IRA, are you only able to withdraw funds and earnings from that account after you're 65? Or is it a number of years from when you started it? What's that? What, what does that timeline look like? Um, for traditional, the withdrawal age is 59 and a half. Um, but there are uh, ex exceptions. You know, if you're buying a first-time home buyer, you have you can withdraw up to ten thousand um, dollars for a home purchase, mm. and you don't have to pay at the tax or penalty on that. Oh, that's important. First time only. Asks the woman that owns her <laughs> condo. Drats. Okay. Now, if it's not a residence, you know, and you maybe own property that you don't live in, there, are, you know, you have to look into that a little bit. But if it's your first full-time residence, then then you can do that. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for that. Okay. Um, a couple of questions now coming from me. I'm really curious about the, this is me just trying to, um, trying to get all the goods without having to do all of the work. I'm wondering what are the quick fix type questions that you get often? Like somebody comes to you with this big deal. They're like, dude, this is so hard. I don't understand, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, actually, it's really easy. All you have to do is blah. Like, what, what's that? I want to know the answer to that or those questions if there are more than one. Yeah, I think, as you said, sometimes it's it comes to be drama maybe, mm -hmm, um, but mm -hmm. when it doesn't have to be, basically uh, people say, oh my gosh, I'm a dancer and I have so many 1099s and so tax time is so hard and it's stressful, right? Basically keep a spreadsheet and total it 
for your accountant if you do that um, or you know if you're going to do it keep all your receipts and just say okay how much did i spend on my website on you know um, any kind of marketing materials headshots resumes any of those kinds of things um, and then just keep it all together so that way when it comes to tax time you have everything that you've done right as soon as you bought classes you might have all of a receipt of all classes you paid for in one year take that put it into your spreadsheet say cool this is how much i spent on classes this year and the answer is done could you give a rundown of in your eyes which are in, in your cpa dancer eyes what are the categories that you what are what are your itemized deduction categories I remember f struggling for years trying to decide what to call certain things. And I would call, let's say I called um, apparel, let's say I called it uh, uniform mm -hmm. one year. And then the next year I was calling it um, maintenance and maintenance and upkeep or something. Like I really, I got very confused about where to put what because in this way, I do think we are unusual. Like me buying this new pair of sneakers is not for vanity. It's because I danced holes in my other pair of sneakers and I dance in sneakers. So that isn't, you know, I, I, if you could just take us through a gentle walkthrough of like the big categories and examples of what might go in each category of deductible expenses. Sure. Um, yeah. So these aren't the itemized deductions, but these are on the Schedule C when we deduct um, our business expenses, right? As a self-employed individual, um, anything from advertising. So I would say website, uh, headshots, headshots, resumes, you know, anything that goes in there. Um, you have a decent amount of leeway um, in that other deductions category at the bottom to put something and then just call it that that year. And then when you go to do your taxes the next year, right, you can just move it on over. You know, you just keep it simple year to year, yeah. right? And so if you have that, say, Google Sheet spreadsheet that says, okay, this is where I put everything last year, cool, move it over and just do it the same thing this year. Um, but yeah, those things, advertising, marketing, you've got your um, auto expenses, you know, if you're driving, those kinds of things or travel in other respects. Um, yep, there is repair and maintenance as well, uh, professional fees, Um those are all like your like your union dues, things like that. Where would you put body work, massage, physio, acupuncture, meeting with a dietitian? Yeah, I would stick it in that other deductions category, um, other you know health and wellness that kind of thing, and just put it under all of those. Okay. I have a feeling our listeners will want to be knowing a lot more about a lot of this stuff. So don't let me let you out of here without leaving uh, a way that we could find you Absolutely. and 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 potentially work together. Um, okay, so the opposite side of that coin, like the easy fix question, is what are the questions that you wish nobody ever asked because they're so complicated and dense and difficult to answer? And will you answer those for us so that we so that we don't have to ask them so that we don't have to ask you individually? Right. I would say honestly, the biggest challenge, and it's hard to answer without going into each individual person's experience, is each state, right? If you're working in multiple states, each state has completely different laws. And you'll have to see if your state conforms to the federal laws. And that's really a big deal right now with COVID and um, all the tax changes that are going along with that. You know, some states tax all the income you earn, and then you get a credit for taxes received. Um, some 
state's tax only income earned in that state and or if it's under a certain amount it's not you don't have to file um, you might have to file in multiple states i know that's a question that comes and can be difficult i always had to file in pennsylvania and then the one year i thought i was not going to have to file in pennsylvania i had to file in pennsylvania again and i was just tired of filing in pennsylvania okay so it's that there is no uh, Yes, there are rules, and there are a lot of different rules, mm-hmm. and it's okay to not know all of the rules, um, but it's not okay to break all of the rules, so you must find somebody who knows what the rules are or find a place to look things up. Um, I'm guessing that would just be the state.gov <laughs> or, uh, or Yeah, the Department of Revenue, close. usually. Um, you oh, can find it on the Department of Revenue website for any state, yeah. Okay. My move, because I believe I am a unique and individual snowflake, is to work with a CPA that understands unique and individual snowflakes. I have not tried to file my own taxes since I was probably 17 years old. I did it once. I cried so hard. (laughs) And I'm not going to lie, I still cry when it's tax time because I feel stupid when I don't know how to do things or the answers to things. I had a a little chuckle to myself when you were talking about... um, a Google sheet and like, just do it the same every year. I not only have a Google sheet now, but I have also a Google doc that reminds myself the answers to the questions that I always ask, (laughs) which is like, where does the individual or does my LLC pay for my health insurance? I have the answer to that because I I ask it every single year. Um, Where do I put this? And I write the answer to that. So as you're asking questions and getting answers to them, because taxes are oh i have another question for you i was just about to say because taxes only happen once a year and then that made me look directly into your eyes julia and ask how important is it to file quarterly because i've got my boxing gloves on i don't i if taxes are going to ruin my life let it be once a year not four times (laughs) i get really stressed out at this time of year certainly because of the way i'm thinking about it obviously but I, I get really mixed information like it's going to save you money. You should definitely file quarterly. And then all of a sudden when I don't file quarterly, because I'm like, you know what? I, I'd rather pay more and worry about it less. I'm fine with this. But then I get to the end of the year and you're like, why didn't you pay quarterly? Now we have to pay penalties. Now, like, talk to me. Quarterly, WTF. What's happening? <laughs> it definitely just depends on... This is another one of those BS answers I'm going to give you. It depends on your situation and year per year, right? So how much did you earn last year? How much tax did you pay last year? That's going to affect, you know, um, estimated taxes this year, um, as well as just, uh, what was I going to say? Filing quarterly. Should I do it? Should I not do it? What does it depend on? What does the answer to that question depend on? You know, as well as just um, how much 1099 income you're getting, right? If you're getting a bunch Mm -hmm. of taxes taken out from your W-2s, you might not have to worry about it as much if you filled out, you know, that little spreadsheet that they give you at the beginning to say how much you want deducted, right? So Mm -hmm. if you do have some W-2 income and you can have more taken out of that so that it covers um, maybe some of your 1099 income, right? There's a nice little uh, worksheet that you could do on the IRS to see if, you're being withheld enough from the W-2 income that you do have. Oh, 
Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> Do you see how I just went from being like hot and sweaty and in rage to like genuinely curious and interested in something? <laughs> because you called it a worksheet, so I got excited. <laughs> um, okay, well, that's that will be added to my master document of questions answered, although I don't know that I will ever become a person that pays quarterly. <laughs> Unless I have to. Like, if you tell me that I have to, I will definitely do it. I'm not telling you that. Oh, rats. I wish somebody would. Somebody, You know what? My, my poor CPA might listen to this someday, and he's like, Dana, literally, I am telling you that you <laughs> and have that, to. And then listen to him. Oh, I don't know what my deal is with that, but I'm working on it. I'm becoming a person that is not, like, it. the world doesn't come down on my actual head. I get a little grumpy when I have to pay taxes, but don't we all? I'm well, not unique in that way. <laughs> yeah, We are all the same in that way. And this year, just so we make that clear, the filing deadline has been extended this year until May 17th. So <laughs> you don't- By like, I'm, well, I'm annoyed. Like we had a dumpster fire of a year. These are my thoughts. I'm I'm getting so hot. I have to take my shirt off. Not my not my whole shirt, just my outer just my outer shirt. 2020 happened, right? Nobody can deny that. 2020 happened and we're pushing our tax deadline back 30 days or like 32 days. I'm sorry. That does not seem sufficient to me, but I started early. I'm prepared. My CPA is also prepared. I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. If you don't think you're okay, here is where you can find Julia. Julia, <laughs> on your market set, go. Where do we find you? You can find me um, at juliagrubs.com. Um, my, all my contact info is there. Um, I'm on Instagram at jwgrubs um, with two Bs. Um, yeah, so any of those you can, there's, I have a contact form on my website. You can feel free to send me an email. I love answering questions, helping dancers, you know feel better Thank about money. goodness for you. I appreciate that so much. Thank you for making yourself available to to me today, me and all my thoughts and feelings about money. And uh, I, I, I do think I will be reaching back out with a few more follow-up questions. That is all I have for you today. But in, in my life as a curious dancer person, I'm sure you will be hearing from me again. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't wait. Thank you for coming, my friend. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. Bye, Dana. All right, my friend, <laughs> I hope that you learned as much as I did, and I truly hope that you visit Julia with any other money or tax-related questions that you have. I am certain that I will be, um, so she won't be shocked to hear from you, lovely words that move me, listener. Thank you so much again for being here. Um, just a few more things before you run off and go organize your 1099s. Um, I will be holding a free career coaching session via Zoom coming up in April on Wednesday, April 14th. Now that time is TBD, so if you are not already following me on Instagram, I'm Dana Daners, D-A-N-A-D-A-N-E-R-S, or the podcast on Instagram, which is Words That Move Me Podcast, um, all one word, no spaces or underscores or anything fancy like that. Um, but make sure you follow us over there because we will be blasting this information loud and proud. Free career coaching uh, group call on Zoom. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to share what I'm all about. Um, tremendously valuable tools here that I will be sharing with you. Now, go get out into the world. 
keep it organized, keep it financially free and flowing, and of course, by any means necessary, keep it funky. I'll talk to you later. Me again. Wondering if you ever noticed that one more time almost never means one more time. <laughs> well, here on the podcast, one more thing actually means two more things. Number one thing, if you're digging the pod, if these words are moving you, please don't forget to download, subscribe, and leave a rating or review because your words move me too. Number two thing, I make more than weekly podcasts. So please visit thedanawilson.com for links to free workshops and so, so, so much more. All right, that's it now, for real. Talk to you soon. Bye.